This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to the show State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. She's the representative for the 1st Hampshire District, which consists, which consists of Hatfield, Northampton, Southampton, West Hampton, and Montgomery. We are so pleased she can be with us today in particular because there is so much going on of such importance in the Massachusetts legislature now. So let's turn to the question of reproductive rights and abortion in Massachusetts. Bills before the House and the Senate. Tell us what's happened so far, and then we'll get to what happens next. And please give us the substance of these bill, this post-Roe protection of reproductive rights in the Commonwealth. Representative. Well, thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning, particularly to talk about this topic, which is very near and dear to my heart. So I think the shorter story uh, is that the legislature knew that there was going to be a devastating decision when the Dobbs case came down from the Supreme Court. And we all, I think, suspected that with the Alito draft leak. And so we used that time in order to craft multiple responses. So sort of response A, response B, response C, depending upon what the draft, uh, what the actual ruling rather would say, based on what the draft was leading us to think. Um, we didn't really know uh, if the court was going to, in its ruling, make any sort of reference to what's going on in Texas with the SB8 law, which allows um, civil suits to occur, and the court has not weighed in on that. So that is basically, if your neighbor um, is helping someone to obtain an abortion in Texas, you can sue your neighbor, even though you have nothing to do with the case. You are not involved. You are not obtaining health care. But it sort of gives anyone the capacity to sue and sets up this, I think people keep referring to it as a Wild West situation. So we were uncertain as to what would happen. And then when we saw the Dobbs ruling, we, we knew what we had to do. So the legislation in the House really, it, it does a couple very important things. Uh, but first and foremost, it protects providers it protects nurses, midwives, people who help others obtain abortions like our wonderful abortion funds, uh, abortion doulas who offer assistance. It protects them from litigation. It, it offers protections within Massachusetts. Well, let me stop yes. you there for a minute, if I might, Representative Sabadosa. Sure. And I want to ask you this. Someone from Texas comes to Massachusetts yes. and seeks an abortion uh, and has, has the procedure yes. and then returns to Texas. Is she still vulnerable to prosecution in Texas? Can those civil vigilantes go after her and say, I want $10,000? Can they go after the person who had the abortion as well as everyone who helped that person? And uh, if there are criminal penalties for an abortion in Texas, could that person be prosecuted? So or does the Massachusetts law help? protect that person? The law helps protect that person. Of course, the answer is yes, that person could be prosecuted. But the Massachusetts law protects that person by preventing data sharing. So Massachusetts has made the commitment that we are not sharing information about patients who travel to our state um, to obtain care. And, and I should be very clear, this is for abortion, but it's also for gender affirming care. We did not specify only one type of care because we see where the world is headed. You know, I think if you read Justice Thomas's opinion, it's very clear that he has a very strong view that this, um, the elimination of, I guess rather, the elimination of the use of privacy to protect the right to abortion should be extended to other things. We should also eliminate other rights because he finds that those previous rulings were also... Um, I forget his exact expression, but he, he does not agree with many prior rulings and precedent. Right. And it's, I think one of the interesting parts of the Dobbs decision is the concurrence by Justice Kavanaugh, who said, oh, don't worry about all those apocryphal kinds of statements in the uh, uh, concurrences. Uh, uh, really, there's a, there's a right to travel. There's a constitutional right to travel. So uh, people can leave states and go to other states. And he didn't say anything about what happens when they return exactly. home. He didn't say whether they can be prosecuted. You can travel to the other state. Now, maybe you can be put in prison for 10 years when you get back or sued for everything you have. He didn't address that issue. But he did say, well, there's a constitutional right to travel, so uh, don't freak out. That's what he said. It's just really interesting because his decision says abortion appears nowhere in the Constitution, and therefore there is no such right. Mm -hmm. 
uh, the right to travel. The word travel doesn't appear in the Constitution anywhere either. But that right to travel is absolutely inviolate. The right to have reproductive choice, well, that conflicts with my religious beliefs, and therefore you can't have it. Mm. I mean, that's what it comes down to, I think. But anyway, back to what the Massachusetts legislature did. So uh, both patient protections, protections around data sharing, protections for providers. So we are trying to, to the greatest extent possible, uh, make sure that individuals who do travel to Massachusetts cannot be prosecuted for for coming here to obtain health care. It's not going to be perfect. And I think what you alluded to is the fact that we are sort of in this legal wilderness right now where cases have additional cases have not been heard so we don't really know how the courts are going to interpret this i mean i was reading this morning that even in texas there's a list of da's who have announced that they are going to refuse to prosecute cases brought forward um, for patients who are obtaining abortion care but you know the largest uh the da representing the largest swath of the texas population has not agreed to do that so we just don't know what's going to happen so you know i, I would say that the legislation does the best that it's can that it can for right now and we're probably going to have to go back and do more based on what we start to see coming out of different courts across the country does the massachusetts legislation use a model is there some other state or other states that have done this? I mean, you, you correctly state, in my opinion, Representative Sabadosa, we are in a legal wilderness. Sadly, we may be led out of this wilderness by Justice Thomas, Justice yes. Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch, uh, and, and, the, and, and their ilk. That said, uh, is there a kind of coordinated or semi-coordinated effort among state legislatures who said, really, we believe in the right to privacy. We believe in individual integrity. We believe that government should not be making these decisions. So Massachusetts definitely looked at other states that have passed laws that are, that are trying to respond to Dobbs. I think Connecticut is the example. I've certainly heard from a lot of constituents about New York has also made efforts. California, Washington, and Oregon are trying to sort of form a, a West Coast block of uh, an abortion, abortion and a gender-affirming care sanctuary. So we certainly looked at all of those states and what they're doing. I always want to add a grain of caution because people say to me, well, New York did this thing. We should do it too. Well, our laws are not the, exactly the same as New York, so we can't always do exactly what they did. But we took what those ideas and applied them to, to Massachusetts and to our particular situation. So we are looking at what other states are doing. And I think right now it's going to be a question of watching the courts and the cases that are brought forward. You know, interestingly, just yesterday, uh, again, in Texas, in response to Biden's executive order, sort of reaffirming that hospitals must provide abortion care to a patient who, who comes in and um, could potentially die without receiving that care, which you know is, is just standard standard practice of care. Uh, Texas filed an injunction uh, to try to say no. If a patient comes in and is going to die, we are still not going to provide that person an abortion, and the federal government cannot tell us to do so. So that case was filed in Lubbock, and it'll be interesting to see what happens if it makes the Supreme Court shadow docket and what the rulings are. You know, we we imagine it was filed in Lubbock because there's a lot of Trump appointed judges in the area. So um, we're expecting a bad ruling, and hopefully. Um, Someone will say that. Right. So the Supreme Court will be able to say more definitively, yes, the rights of a fetus are paramount and they, they uh, take precedence over the life of the woman. Yes. And also, if the Supreme Court says that, they would also be saying that the state has the ability to supersede precedents set by the federal government. So there's a lot of, uh, there, there would be a lot in a ruling like that. So let's go back to the Massachusetts legislation. It has passed the House. There are protect yes. protections for uh, gender-affirming care and for reproductive choice. But my favorite part, because it was my bill. <laughs> so um, one of my favorite parts in this legislation is um, that we are also removing cost-sharing for abortion care. Now, the legislation that I'd filed with um, Representative Balzer was access to full-spectrum pregnancy care. And so in that legislation, we had asked for abortion, reproductive loss, and pregnancy to have no cost-sharing. So just for people listening, that means no deductibles, no co-pays. Your insurance fully covers the procedure. Yes. Including pregnancy? Well, well, so what we ended up getting oh. in the bill, sorry, I know, that's what we asked for. What we ended up getting was um, no cost sharing for abortion care. And for people who are on mass health, there will be no cost sharing for pregnancy and reproductive loss. So we weren't able to get the private insurance companies on board. We're going to go back and try again. 
Um, but we we did get them to agree to that. So you know, essentially an insurance mandate, and that is is an important step, and it will have a huge impact in Massachusetts because one of the things we see um, in my other hat, volunteering at the fund, is people calling and saying, "Well, I have health insurance, but the deductible is so high." It's as if I didn't have health insurance and they have to end up paying out of pocket. So um, that was a, a big and important piece of this. Let's go back uh, to one aspect of the bill we were talking about just a moment ago. Uh, if it's a felony to escape from Texas to seek an abortion in another state, mm-hmm. but it's perfectly legal in the other states, say Massachusetts, yes. to have the abortion, Then, of course, there's a conflict between the two states and a conflict with the constitutional requirement under the full faith and credit clause, which says states have to give full faith and credit to the official acts in other states. So it really does set up this legal uh, tension that sadly may end up in front of this Supreme Court, uh, which is ideologically so right-wing and unhinged from principle that you just don't know what they're going to do. Well, and you know, I, I think I like to point out to people because I think sometimes we 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 talk almost too much about abortion and people sort of glaze over. But I like to remind them what this really means is, for example, if you live in a state where gambling is illegal, if you went to Las Vegas on vacation, gambled, went back to your home state, your home state could prosecute you for having gone to Las Vegas and gambled because you did something that, while completely legal in Las Vegas, was not legal in your home state. And you could apply that to so many other things, right? Cannabis is a great one. Legal in Massachusetts, completely illegal in Texas. So this is, again, like you go to Massachusetts and you buy some cannabis that you consume in Massachusetts, and then you go back to Texas, and Texas decides to prosecute and incarcerate you for something that you did while in a place where the action you did was legal. To the Massachusetts legislation, it's passed the House. A version has passed the Senate. What are the differences and what's going to happen? Because as we know, having gone through this procedure and talked about it on the show before, it's going to go to a conference committee where, well, any number of things could happen. Yes. So uh, there is a very important provision in the House bill that um, that is not in the Senate bill. And I will also argue there's an important provision in the Senate bill, not in the House. But the the sticking point um, between the bodies was over a change we made to um, to the Roe Act, which we passed last session, and it was around um, cases for, for abortion after 24 weeks. In Massachusetts, you can have an abortion after 24 weeks if the um, the health and the well-being of the pregnant person is at risk or if there is a fatal fetal abnormality. Now, we have found cases in Massachusetts where hospitals have interpreted fatal fetal abnormality to mean almost nothing. So if the fetus is has a chance of surviving an extra day, they have said, well, you know, maybe it's not fatal. And they have required patients to travel out of state. And in the House, in particular, we've done a lot of work with a a woman um, named Kate Deenan, who lives in Boston, who at 33 weeks found out that her fetus had a stroke, had um, almost no chance of survival, and if uh, if the fetus did survive birth, would probably uh, live for maybe a day or two outside of the womb. Now, her hospital told her that she should terminate, that you know, these chances were very poor, but they felt that because of the way the Roe Act was written, they could not do the termination. So they made her travel uh, to Maryland. She, she eventually went to D.C. because she got a sooner appointment. And she w- terminated, and then she had to travel back to Massachusetts in order to deliver. And that trip is, is traumatic. It's difficult. Um, and it shouldn't have happened because, quite honestly, the hospital's read of the law was far too conservative. And we know that that happens sometimes, no offense, Bill, but sometimes attorneys, they, they worry a lot about liability and they say, we're not going to do that because we don't think the law allows it. So having listened to Kate and her story, you know, many of us have, have sat with her and, and heard this firsthand. We went and talked to hospitals and and asked them, what do you need so that this never happens? Because this is not the moment for us to be sending patients out of state, right? These these clinics like in D.C. and Colorado that offer later term procedures, they have four or five week waiting lists right now, given what's happening in the country. So in the House, we changed that word fatal to severe. 
because that is what they told us they would need to make sure Kate didn't have to travel. And that, unfortunately, has become a sticking point with the Senate. We are speaking with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of this discussion after these short messages. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. I walk down to buy her flowers and sell some gifts that I got. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts' way of saying we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The HUG plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Frances Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at HugYourMoney.com. Martha Graham, Mum and Shants, Blind Boys, Cherish the Ladies, Peking Acrobats, Ukraine Philharmonic, Nikki, and Stomp, all on their way to the UMass Fine Arts Center. Mum and Shants in their 50th year, Cherish the Ladies, A Celtic Christmas, the Martha Graham Dance Company with the Lost Graham Masterwork Canticle for Innocent Comedians. Snarky Puppy unleashes their ferocious improvisation. Nikki shines a ray of pop sunshine. And Gina Chavez blends the sound of the Americas with tension and grace. Dance, classical, jazz, theater, plus performances you just can't categorize. Stomp arrives for three performances. Head-turning trumpeter Sean Jones leads his quartet on stage, plus visits the UMass High School Jazz Festival. Plan now for a season of uplifting arts performances. Go to the UMass Fine Arts Center website for the full calendar and tickets. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone, two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, representative from the 1st Hampshire District. We have been talking about the Massachusetts legislature's response to the Supreme Court decision that says there is no constitutional right to abortion, no constitutional right to reproductive choice, maybe no constitutional right to privacy at all. The House has passed a bill. The Senate has passed a bill. It will now go to conference to reconcile the difference, and then will go to the House and the Senate for an up-and-down vote, and then to the governor, who will have the ability to, I take it, have a line-item veto if he doesn't like pieces of the bill. Is that right? That is right, although I will say just this morning, uh, Politico reported that the governor yesterday at the I think Conference of Governors in Maine mentioned that he is a pro-choice governor and is looking forward to receiving the bill and uh, seeing what the conference committee comes up with. So there were some positive signs that uh, we, we might not see a veto. And Could you tell us what the bill provides, if anything, with regard to uh, medication abortion? 
I certainly can. Um, so medication abortion is, is, of course, legal in Massachusetts. It's a two-pill regimen that can be taken within the first uh, 10 to 11 weeks of pregnancy. And in the Senate version of the bill, the provision that I have long been working on to um, allow for medication abortions on public college campuses was included in the bill. So it was uh, an exciting moment, and it's something that we are very much hoping will come through in the conference committee. Is there some provision in the bill that deals with the issue of medication being provided by providers in Massachusetts to women or pregnant people out of state? So that issue is more complicated because it really... I thought what we were talking about was pretty complicated. It is. very complicated. <laughs> the whole thing is very complicated, So, but it becomes more complicated. So again, the bill protects... There's liability protections within the bill. There are not licensing protections within the bill, though. And so a Massachusetts doctor... So that, let's stop right yes. there one sec. Liability yes. protection. If you're sued, you're protected. Yes. Yes. But licensing protection... Licensing is different. So all, all of your providers are licensed. They have to get a license from the state of Massachusetts in order to practice medicine. Generally, that means that they have to practice medicine within the state of Massachusetts. Now, there are some provisions... That and that's were, true for every state. And that's true for every state, right? Same, there, for, same for lawyers, same are, for all sorts of professions. There are some things called compacts. There are, there's an interstate physician compact. We don't belong to it. There's also a nursing compact. There are, there are ways that licenses can transfer from one state to another easily. Um, so a Massachusetts doctor, if they were to provide via telehealth uh, services to a patient out of state, could run into issues with licensing. So the legislation does not delve into the licensing question. I would say for anyone listening who is interested in uh, obtaining abortion care and doesn't live in the state of Massachusetts, that they should check out resources like Plan C, which is a website online that can tell that tells you exactly how you can obtain um, abortion care based on which state you live in. So that is an entire area that's potentially problematic because going back to our example of the pregnant person in Texas yes. seeking, well, say it's, medication abortion uh, through a provider in Massachusetts or some other state, there can be a claim that the medical provider in the other state is practicing in Texas without a license. Yes, and I would remind people listening that those are issues that relate to the United States. So if someone in Texas needed medication and they were to go to the Plan C website, they might connect with a provider in the Netherlands or in Australia. And there are options to do that and they can have medication mailed to them. But I think everyone sort of sees this as the next frontier in the abortion fight. There are states that are currently trying to prohibit mail, prohibit medication, prohibit communication. So we're going to have to see what they come up with and what the courts rule. How depressed are you, Representative <laughs> Sabadosa? <laughs> All right. Well, um, it's been very hard. It's been a very hard few weeks. But the legislation to eliminate cost sharing is something that actually had been sent to study. We thought there was no way it was going to pass. And it got pulled out and brought forward and is now law. And that felt like it was going to be impossible, and yet it happened. The medication on public college campuses bill is moving forward, and it seems very positive. We're going to knock on wood that nothing happens between now and the end of the conference committee, but that's a positive sign. So we're going to keep focusing on the positive and deal with what comes, and I have every single confidence that while we are in a dark moment historically, we are going to come out of it, and people are going to realize that what the Supreme Court did is ridiculous. I think you know, again, I was reading the case of the the 10-year-old in, in Iowa who, I'm sorry, Ohio, who was a victim of rape and had to travel across state lines in order to receive abortion care. And you have people who call themselves pro-life today making statements saying, well, she should have had to have that baby because, you know, I guess that's what 10-year-olds should do. Yeah. First, they said it never happened. They made this up. 
So said the Wall Street They arrested Journal. the 27-year-old who raped her, though. They who confessed. Did, they did do that. Yes. They did do that. If you're feeling helpless and want to do something, you can support the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Mass tomorrow, of which Lindsay Sabadosa, the state representative here, is a volunteer. They've been helping women for decades. They, this is a good time to throw money at a problem because they know what to do with it already. And you will be at the event called Outcry at the Marigold Theater in East Hampton tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock. Representative right. Sabadosa. Again, the Marigold Theater, East Hampton, 8 o'clock. Bands like Cloud Belly and Emma Ayers and things like that, will all and speakers. It'll, it's a good thing that they're doing. It will be fun, and you will be able to support people who need abortion care. So what could be better? Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, thank you so very, very much for your time today. This is Bill Newman, Much more than For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A former Holyoke DPW worker is facing vehicular homicide charges. Edward Eckert pleaded not guilty Thursday in connection with a fatal crash that took the life of a 37-year-old woman in February. Police say Eckert of West Springfield was driving under the influence of alcohol on February 3rd when his SUV struck Nicole Winkowski as she and her boyfriend were walking along South Street. Former acting Holyoke Mayor Terrence Murphy had declared July 29th Edward Eckert Day upon his retirement from the Department of Public Works last year after 33 years on the job. Murphy and other city officials lauded Eckert for his dedication and work ethic. East Hampton is looking for public input on what to do with three former elementary schools. The City Council Property Committee has set up site visits for Monday to view the Neil A. Pepin, Center, and Maple Street schools to garner ideas. The school committee voted to declare the property surplus and transfer them to city council in April. Farmers from all across Massachusetts gathered in Belchertown to meet with state lawmakers yesterday. The Massachusetts Fruit Growers Association held its annual summer meeting at the Cold Spring Orchard. Ben Clark, president of the Mass Fruit Growers Association, spoke to 22 News about some of the challenges they face. Labor is also a challenge, as a lot of people find, and inflation, you know, fuel prices are up, fertilizer. But it's good to day like this where we can all come together and, and learn something and keep going and stay strong. The Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources is looking for farmers to update them on how the drought is impacting crops and production so they can work with the Baker administration to help. Mostly sunny skies today and less humid. Temperatures in the low to mid 80s. Tonight will be mostly clear with lows in the upper 50s to right around 60. Dry on Saturday with temperatures in the 80s. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Oficina de Planificación y Desarrollo Económico de Holyoke anunció el jueves que el evento Doors Open 2022 se llevará a cabo el sábado 15 de octubre. Durante 2021, la ciudad de Holyoke organizó su primer evento Doors Open con 25 ubicaciones abiertas y más de 300 visitantes. Algunos de los aspectos más destacados del evento son el Victory Theater, el Centro de Cómputo Verde de Alta Eficiencia, el Templo Masónico, el Hotel Jazz, así como recorridos por Open Square, Water Wheel y City Hall por nombrar algunos. Los eventos de puertas abiertas en todo el país invitan al público a ver detrás de las puertas de muchos lugares que normalmente no están abiertos al público. Doors Open conecta a los residentes y visitantes con lugares locales de importancia histórica, cultural y arquitectónica para unir comunidades e inspirar perspectivas nuevas y más amplias. Varios sitios estarán abiertos al público para recorridos autoguiados durante todo el día, además de exhibir varios desarrollos del centro e instalaciones de arte público. Los detalles adicionales de los eventos, las ubicaciones y el calendario de los eventos de Doors Open Holyoke de este año estarán disponibles en las próximas semanas en exploreholyoke.com. En otras informaciones, el alcalde de Holyoke, Joshua García, anunció el jueves que durante los próximos días estará realizando el trabajo de pavimentación y asfaltado en diferentes calles del sur de Holyoke. Este viernes se estará realizando la pavimentación de Adam Street, Clemente Street desde Sargent hasta Jackson Street, Southbridge Street desde Sargent hasta Jackson Street y South Summer desde South Canal hasta Adam Street. El trabajo comienza a las 6 y 30 de la mañana y continuará durante todo el día. El tránsito estará cerrado para la circulación y se prohibirá el estacionamiento en estas calles. 
Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. And we are playing the inauguration song because this is the inaugural day for the new president, Max Page, and vice president, Deb McCarthy, of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, who we welcome back to the show. Mr. President, Madam Vice President, thank you so much for being with us. This is your first day in office. How's, how's it going so far? Let's start with the new vice president, since we hear from Max Page, the new president, quite a bit. Deb McCarthy, how's it going so far? Good morning. Uh, it's going well. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, I don't know about asking for your plans for the first day, but how about for the first week, first month, first uh, quarter? Of well, usually ask presidents 100 days, right? So let's put your 100 day plan. Okay, let's go with that. We try to go hour by hour. If we can get through, that would that's good. No, we're, we're uh, here in Quincy at our main um, MTA office. And we're actually doing some work on the fair share amendment today. As we have talked about a lot, Bill, on the show and Monty, that this is the number one thing we're working on for the next 120 days is making sure we uh, tax millionaires to fund schools and colleges. So tell us a bit more about that, uh, Max or Deb. You say the MTA, the Massachusetts Teachers Association, is working to see that the fair share amendment, the amendment to the state constitution that will allow income, not assets, income per year over a million dollars to be taxed. Uh, a teensy weensy bit. Yeah, an extra 4%. So if you make, say, a million and ten dollars as your adjusted gross income, you would pay an additional oh, four dollars. That's what happens. So those years when you're making a couple million dollars, so you make, say, you make two million dollars as your adjusted gross income, you have $40,000 to pay. By the way, it is the state of Massachusetts that, of course, has allowed you to uh, make all that money because of the infrastructure we have and the quality of the systems and infrastructure that we have here. So what are you doing, though? I, I understand the arguments for it. The money will go to education and transportation. Well, what does the MTA actually do? What does it mean to work for this bill? Well, Bill, for example, and, I, and in a minute, I will want to get back to letting listeners know a little more about the background of Deb McCarthy and her close connection to Monty Belmonte. <laughs> yes, I, I, um, I, I, from the accent. That's the most important thing of all. But it, it but is very important. Answer. And I want to know and I want you to know before you get back to that, that when you Eastern Mass people start talking Eastern Mass, you got to always speak in something that we can understand. <laughs> <laughs> we'll interpret for you. OK, great. Max or Deb? Well, so let, let's just say that we're working, we're really firing on all cylinders now. So like we are, there are door-to-door -door canvases going on about four or five times a week. And I was just in Amherst yesterday. I'll be at in Pulaski Park, 11 a.m. on Sunday, this coming Sunday. Go knock on doors. It's actually especially fun in a place like Northampton since everyone, seems like everyone is in support of taxing millionaires for schools and colleges and transportation. We are today also going to be um, filming some first ads that will go up on television and social media in the coming month. And we also have 140 summer member organizers, members who decided to commit themselves for six weeks to going door to door, to phone banking, to calling members and also the general public. I think they, they um, knocked on 3,000 doors the other day in Worcester talking about the fair share amendment. So, we are 100% committed to this effort. Who's the opposition? What are they doing and what are they spending? The opposition is, um, at the moment, it looks like it's mainly business groups, the Mass High Tech Council, Associated Industry of Massachusetts, the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, it's the same group that's often opposed to a lot of important progressive um, efforts. Uh, it's not clear how much money they have, uh, but they will no doubt uh, have a lot and will intend to spend a ton in the fall to distribute lies and misinformation about this. And just to be crystal clear for everyone listening, only people over who make over a million dollars a year in yearly income 
will pay this. 99.5% of us will not. It's only about 20,000 households in a state of 7 million who will would pay this tiny additional tax, but it would produce about $2 billion for public schools and colleges and transportation systems. A year? A year, every single year, and it's constitutionally protected. It's a constitutional amendment, which means it doesn't. it's not like the legislature in January can go, all right, we'll just get rid of that. They can't. It's in the Constitution. It's a permanent source of funds for these basic foundational investments that you said, Bill, is what makes our prosperity. Why do you think we've doubled the number of millionaires and have seen this huge growth in the, you know, medical industries in Massachusetts and high tech industries? Because this is a place where we have outstanding educated population. That's what businesses want. Yeah, I think a couple of the new billionaires in Massachusetts are Moderna executives who did very well on their stock because, well, they had a really important vaccine and they have made a lot of money because they are in Massachusetts where they have the resources and the where we have the resources and the company has the resources and the human resources to create this kind of innovation. It, it, it seems to me goes hand in glove. The money, they make the money, they pay a little back. It seems totally fair to me. That's why it's called the fair share amendment, among other reasons. Exactly. And speaking of resources, it's time to take the resources uh, that will come from the monies of the Fair Share Amendment and put them into our classrooms. Uh, I have just left a classroom after 25 years, and one of the things that I'm noticing on my first day of work of what it's like to be in a space that has AC, uh, because for 25 years I've been in a classroom with students and we don't have AC, we've had issues with mold, we've had concerns with our HVAC systems, and in the year 2022, that's just unacceptable for our students in the classroom. Deb McCarthy, Max has been with us uh, for many years now on a regular basis. Could you spend a minute and tell our listeners a bit more about your background? I take it you've been a classroom teacher for the last... 25 years. What else can you tell us about your involvement with education and with the Massachusetts Teachers Association, of which you are now the vice president? My pleasure. And again, thank you for uh, asking. And it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am a daughter of an educator. I am the mother of an educator. My sister is an educator and my daughter-in-law is an educator. Um, Public education is the foundation of our democracy, and uh, public education is under attack uh, by those who are trying to privatize our public goods. Uh, I've been in the classroom for 25 years, but and I was raised in Hull. I attended the Hull school systems, and my children uh, attended the Hull public schools, and now my three grandchildren attend the Hull, three of my seven, attend the Hull public schools. And unfortunately, the direct services, the wraparound services that my grandchildren do not receive compared to the programs that were in place when I went to school so many years ago uh, is a stark contrast. And so, it became critical that I leave the classroom and fight for the programs and the direct services that I had when I went to school so many years ago. The other thing I would add is that I am the niece of Maureen Dunn, who co-founded the POW MIA movement. And early on, uh, I was influenced by her activism to fight for what is right, uh, to ask the difficult questions even when folks didn't want to answer them, and to demand accountability. And so that's why I have left the classroom to join Max Page. 
we so appreciate your time, and I know we'll be speaking further with you on a regular basis. Deb McCarthy is the new vice president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Max Page is the new president. This is their first day in office, and we appreciate the exclusive interview to begin. And it warms my heart to hear your accent, Deb. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at WeinzickNursery.com. We are talking random whites. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. This is from a company called La Pere, Gros Monsang. Gros, apparently, when you see it written, it looks like you're drinking something called Gros Monsang. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's Gros. In the past, has mostly been relegated to bulk wine or distilling grapes for brandy. Petit Monsang, which I think means like little guy, and Gros Monsang means big guy. It almost has like a dessert wine feel to it. It's susceptible to botrytis, so they do make sweet wines. This tastes like it almost might have that, which is like... It's essentially, they call it Noble yeah, Rock, it, which is my next yeah, band name. Don't great. steal it. We, we, so mentioned, weird. <laughs> we mentioned it was a brandy grape, and this wine does taste like a brandy. Yeah. Drink this before dinner. Maybe drink it after dinner. Because it's a brandy-ish kind of feel yeah, to it. This yeah, is a unique it's one. very different. 1899. It is organic grapes and certified organic. What's the name of this one again? La Perre. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. This Monday at the Shea, The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin. Zach Sherwin, from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Epic Rap Battles of History, bringing his incredible wordplay to a live crossword puzzle on stage at the Shea. A panel of guest comedians will solve this actual crossword puzzle while Zach Sherwin takes us down a rabbit hole of comedy, music, trivia, and wordplay. No crossword expertise needed. The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin. With special guest problem solvers, Smith College's Dr. Jennifer Malkowski, the founder of Smith's Video Game Research Lab, Comedy as a Weapon comedian Kim DeShields, and me, Monty Belmonte. The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin. Monday night, 7 o'clock, Shea Theater, Turner's Falls. I'm the Rock Waters I'm Alexander the Great. I've got no terrible Ukulele, Kremlin, the Kremlin's arriving. 1015, 1400, and 1240. WHMP, News, Information, and the Arts. Dinner tonight starts with a tap. Tap the local hero guide on the CISA website and find farm fresh food close to where you are. There are so many farms and farm stands just minutes away. Look for the bright yellow local hero label in stores and restaurants. Local hero food, the beauty and the bounty of our fertile river valley farmlands on your dinner table tonight. The local hero guide is at the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 101.5, 1400, and 1240. WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is Artbeat with Donabel Cassis who has with her and us today three very special guests. So let me turn the microphone over to you, Donna Bell. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. Play Incubation Collective is a community organization using theater to foster civic dialogue. And tonight they are bringing us a brand new play. Here to give us the details are co-founders, Sarah Marcus and Rachel Hirsch, as well as the playwright, Nina Dabick. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we get into the play, Sarah, please tell us how Play Incubation Collective is revolutionizing the process of theater making and theater going. Thank you. Thanks so much for that intro, Donabelle. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really happy to be here with you this morning to talk to you about this exciting new play. Um, there's a lot of parts of our approach that we feel like are, are new and exciting. Um, one of them is that we really um, 
see ourselves as an organization that not only brings together theater artists and really multidisciplinary artists from all backgrounds, um, but really seeks to engage with the community and to engage with our local community and create stories that are excited are exciting for people who live here um, and to be accessible um, to all audience members and to all um, really all artists all across the valley. I mean, I, I love that you have um, access points for artists of all ages. I know you do uh, free workshops, mini residencies, full residencies and summer programs for youth. I mean, I think it's such a valuable community service um, here in the Valley. Now, Nina, you are the playwright of Invitation to the Dance, which premieres as a reading tonight at Northampton Center for the Arts. I hear it's a story about family secrets. Do tell. Yes, so this is, a well, the play is about three generations of women in a family. So there's um, Naomi and then her mother and her grandmother. Um, so, uh, Naomi, yes, yeah, set the stage for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On so, radio. <laughs> so Naomi's sister, Rachel, who's not in the play, um, uh, is about to get married. And Naomi and her partner, Beth, are planning to go to the wedding. So, Ni so Naomi and Beth are lesbians. And, um, and Naomi's mother um, has asked her not to come out as a lesbian to her grandmother before mm. the wedding. Her mother is afraid, afraid of the judgment of her own mother. Um, and so Naomi um, uh, is not comfortable with that. She, uh, she resists. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the grandmother has her own secret plan for the wedding. So that's the setting. So, so intriguing. Now, what inspired you to write this story? Well, you know, I, I, and the story is set in Northampton in 1980. Um, I, I was living in Northampton at that time, and I came out as a lesbian at that time. So, um, I mean, Northampton was an incredible place to be, and I, and the community that's there, still there, but that was there at that time, was wonderful. So, um, so, you know, I knew a lot of people. We all had our stories about, you know, our families and, and, and what was going on. And I, and I just felt like I wanted to, um, you know, I was interested in those, you know, what happens at, a, at that level of a personal level in the context of a, a, a greater community and greater levels, so. Absolutely. Now, Rachel, how did you at Play Incubation Collective come across Nina's work? So this play, we've been with this play for a while. Um, we started back in 2019 and had put out a call for submissions of new plays um, from playwrights that were seeking hands-on um, development help uh, in their writing process. And Nina submitted to us and we were so excited to see a, a hyper-local playwright um, submission come in. We were getting quite a few from Bos the Boston area and a little further afield. And so we were super excited about that. And then to learn that it took place in Northampton, it was sort of a no brainer. Um, <laughs> and so we so we actually did an initial sort of table read with Nina and some some um, people from Nina's life, colleagues, friends um, who sort of came in and were a part of a dialogue about the piece with the actors that were reading it as well. And um, and that was really the beginnings. Of the, I think that was the first official gathering that we ever had to do this work, to meet with playwrights, to try and help their uh, in their development process. And, um, and in fact, we were supposed to do a reading of this back in 2020, March of 2020, that got mm. a public reading that got mm -hmm. canceled, obviously. Um, so, so that's how it all started, and we're just really excited to be able to revisit it now and in a much more in-depth way than we could have served the piece back in March 2020 when we were still so new as an organization. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of, um, <laughs> in some ways, has worked out in a really beautiful way for this piece because we're, we are well poised now to, um, to serve the piece more fully so mm -hmm. that Nina can kind of take it to the next phase after this point. 
I mean, it's such exciting work and such an exciting process too. Now, tell us about tonight. Now, this it's fitting that this is this play is set in Northampton and it's going to be read in Northampton at the Center for the Arts. Rachel, can you, I mean, Sarah, could you tell us a little bit about how tonight is going to work? Yeah, so we'll be at the Center for the Arts, 33 Holly Street in Northampton, um, doing this reading upstairs in the flex space. Um, it's a, you know, it's a reading. The, the actors will have their scripts. Um, we've been rehearsing um, twice this week and actually the majority of the actors have actually been involved in the piece since January 2020. We've brought in a few new people, but it mostly is a group that, um, that really has been holding this play for quite some time. Nice. Um, and so you'll see the actors with scripts in hand. Um, sharing the text, you know, sharing the story with the audience for the first time out loud with the public. Mm -hmm. um, and then there will be an opportunity afterwards um, for the audience to stay and have a community dialogue with the cast and playwright and really talk about how um, how the play is resonating with them. And maybe beneficial, you know, for Nina and her, her next steps forward. We're also super thankful to um, Northampton Open Media that, that they will be um, the reading for anyone who can't person and that recording will be available to anyone anywhere who can't access it in person tonight. Now, now Nina, what is it like or what, what are you feeling right now before the premiere of your work? <laughs> I'm feeling very excited and uh, not a little anxious, just um, <laughs> <laughs> feel a little exposed. Um, yes. But um, it has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. I really cannot say enough um, praise for Sarah and Rachel and all the actors. It's an incredibly talented group of people. The director, the stage manager, everybody that's been part of this is, has been just wonderful. So I'm very excited to see, to have an audience and be able to come and, and see it. And I have many friends and other people are that are coming so I, i'm really really excited about it it's it's going to be quite the celebration and rachel quickly how can folks get involved tonight i know it's a free event but it is also donations welcome tell yeah. us how we can be there yeah so you can visit playincubation.org invite or excuse me slash invitation playincubation.org invitation to reserve your spot. Um, it's the same form to fill out whether you're attending in person or virtually. There's an option there to check which one um, you need. And you can also show up um, just at just ahead of seven o'clock tonight at 33 Holly Street. Um, we will be letting people in who, who show up on the spot provided that there's space. Uh, seven so, to nine tonight, yes. Yeah, seven to 9 p.m. tonight. Um, and on our website, you can also find out a lot more information about the play and its content and about Play Incubation Collective and follow us on social media as Thank well. You so <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel Hirsch, Sarah Marcus, and Nina Daybeck. Break a leg tonight. Congratulations. And thank you, thank Donna Belcastis, for bringing those very special guests and this very special play to our attention. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. At the Northampton Survival Center, we believe that no one should choose between paying bills or buying food. En el Northampton Survival Center, queremos que nadie debería elegir entre pagar sus cuentas o comprar alimentos. We supply free groceries for people in 18 Hampshire County communities in a safe outdoor distribution. Proveemos comestibles gratis a personas en 18 comunidades del condado de Hampshire en una distribución segura y al aire libre. For information about grocery pickup or delivery, call 413 586-6564 or visit northamptonsurvival.org Para información sobre recogida o entrega de comestibles llame al 413-586-6564 o visítenos en northamptonsurvival.org If the challenges of the past year have left you needing help we are here for you Si las dificultades del año pasado lo han llevado a necesitar ayuda estamos aquí para usted The only live and local talk in the valley and for the valley WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10